turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 3. As you turn to Ephesians chapter 3, let me ask you this question. Why are you doing that? Right, because you just told me to, right? Okay, I, I know that, I know that, right? But, but why, why are we turning to Ephesians? Like, why are we listening to what this letter has to say? Why would we be interested in what this guy, Paul, would write to people who lived 2,000 years ago in the Middle East in a country that is by years and culture very, very distant from us? Why would, we, why would we listen to this? What, what are we doing here? I mean, here we are. We've been going through this journey on Ephesians. And have we even stopped to ask, like, well, you, what are we doing? Well, keep that in mind. And as we think about the journey that we've been on, let me just review what we've covered so far. In Ephesians chapter 1, Paul starts with a, a praise to God for all of the blessings that we have in Christ. That we are his chosen people, adopted into his family. That we have an inheritance that's sealed by the Holy Spirit. That we have forgiveness of our sins, right? And then after he praises, he prays. He prays that his readers would would have eyes to see by the power of the Holy Spirit. That they would have the ability to see how good they have it in Christ. The hope that they've been called to. The riches of his glorious inheritance. The power at work and then he talks about how his readers were before they came to christ they were dead in their sins but god made them alive and then he talks about how as a whole group of gentiles the gentiles were outsiders they were far from god and god brought them in and so paul has just talked about how the gentiles and the jews have been brought together in this unified, multi-ethnic temple, this people of God. And after he says this, he moves on. He's going to pray again for his readers. But before he prays, he just stops. He, he goes off on this tangent. He, he breaks the flow of what he is saying. Look, look with me at verse 1 of chapter 3. He said, for this reason, look, looking back to what he's just talked about, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming you have heard. So, so he breaks the flow. In fact, if you look down at verse 14, he picks it back up. For this reason, referring back to chapter 2, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father. So that's where he's headed. He's headed to this prayer that he's going to pray. He's coming from this place where he's talked about Jews and Gentiles coming together as one, but he pauses. He stops. He, there's something that he wants to interject here. There's something he wants his readers to hear before he keeps moving on. He, he just stops, and it's like he asks, well, do, you know, do you know what's going on here? Do you know who, who I am? Do you know why I'm writing? Do you understand what, what we're doing here? Well, let's read and see what this is that Paul wants to interject at this moment what he wants us to hear. Starting in verse 1, let's read together. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how 
The mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the least, the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus, our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. It's easy for us to lose sight of the big picture. It's easy for us to get caught up in the day-to-day routine of life or in church, the week-to-week routine of life, you know, Sunday, Monday, Sunday. Um, we can just get lost in, you know, you know, get up, go to work, come home, go to bed, get up, go, and, and we lose sight of the big picture. And so things like Bible reading just becomes something that we kind of check off the list, like, okay, yep, I did that, okay, let's move on. Or prayer is just kind of something like, oh, yeah, yeah, we're supposed to pray now, okay, let's just pray and keep on moving on. And, and it's easy to, to come in here and just kind of play church because, you know, we've, maybe we've done it before a lot of times, and we just come in, come in, sit in the same spot, do the same things, and just keep on going, going. And, and, and sometimes, just like Paul breaks the flow of his letter, and gets his reader's attention and says, hey, do you know what's going on here? Sometimes we need God to just break us from the flow and lift our eyes and see what is the big picture. What really is going on here? And I think in this text this morning, what, what my prayer is, is that this text would, would serve as a way to lift our eyes up out of just kind of the, the going, 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 and that we would stop, break the flow, and see the big picture, and and specifically that we would see just how great it is that God has revealed the gospel. That simple truth that has changed everything. Would Would we just pause and lift our gaze up and see how amazing it is that God has revealed the gospel? We're going to see this unfold in three different stages. First, we'll see that God revealed through a messenger. We'll see that God revealed good news and that God revealed for a purpose. These are the things that I want to look at in this text today. So first, God revealed 
through a messenger. In this case, Paul. God revealed through a messenger. First thing that we need to notice about this text is that God gave Paul a ministry to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. We see in verse 1, that's, that's why Paul pauses. That's what he breaks the flow about. He says, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles. And he goes on to talk about his ministry. So this is what he has stopped to talk about. This ministry that God's given him, he recognizes is only by God's grace. Paul has been given a ministry by God's grace. In verse 2, he refers to it as a stewardship of God's grace given to him. In verse 7, he says he was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace. It's God's grace. Paul feels how unworthy he is to have received this ministry. It's only by God's grace, favor that Paul does not deserve. I mean, look at verse 8 again. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Paul feels that this is only by God's grace. Just a moment ago, we read Paul telling his story in Acts 26. Paul, then called Saul, was a persecutor of Christians. He, he led Christians to their death. He opposed Christ, it said in the text, with raging fury. That's who Saul was. But God looked at this enemy of his people and he chased after him. This guy, of all people, someone who raged in fury against God's people, God chased after him because, he says in Acts chapter 9, that he was, Paul was, God's chosen instrument to make his name known to the Gentiles. And Paul recognizes that is only God's grace. I deserve none of that. So Paul was made God's chosen instrument to make his name known to the Gentiles. Paul is known in Scripture as the apostle to the Gentiles. It was specifically to the Gentiles that God had given Paul a ministry. And we see this uh, in verse 2. Assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. For you. In verse 8, he says again that he was given a ministry to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. You know, it's, it's even this ministry to specifically the Gentiles that is the, re, is the uh, reason for Paul's name being Paul. It used to be Saul, and then it was Paul. A lot of times in Scripture, we'll see at a conversion moment, someone's name changed. God changes that person's name from their old identity to a new identity. But in Scripture, Saul continues to be referred as Saul after his conversion. But when we see his name change is when we see him focusing on this ministry to the Gentiles, because Saul was his Hebrew name. Paul was his Greek name. And so even embedded in his name was this specific ministry to the Gentiles, to the nations outside of Israel. Every time we see the name Paul in Scripture, it's a reminder God has extended the gospel to us, to nations outside of Israel, to the Gentiles. 
So Paul's given a ministry by God's grace to the Gentiles, and it's because he's ministering to the Gentiles that he's suffering. He says at the beginning in verse 1, he's a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. In Acts 20, Luke records when Paul was physically with the Ephesians, and he's saying farewell to the elders of the Ephesian church, and he tells them, I am leaving here from Ephesus, I'm going to Jerusalem, and I know imprisonment awaits me. And sure enough, he leaves Ephesus, he goes to Jerusalem, and by the time he gets there, the Jewish leaders had already heard about Paul. They already knew what had been going on, that he had been preaching the gospel to the Gentiles, that he had been saying these crazy things like how God tore down the dividing wall known as the law so that Jews and Gentiles could be joined together as one holy temple. He was saying these crazy things like Gentiles can be equals with Jews before God. And this stirred up the Jewish leaders. They were angry at him for what he was saying. He even allegedly brought a Gentile who was an Ephesian into the temple in Jerusalem. And so uh, they were absolutely upset at him that he would do such a thing. There, this riot broke out there in Jerusalem, and it led to him being imprisoned because he was preaching the gospel, gospel to the Gentiles. And it's from this prison that he writes this letter to the Ephesians. It was his faithfulness to his ministry to preach the gospel to the Gentiles that led to his imprisonment. It was his faithfulness to preach the gospel to the Gentiles that led to this letter being written. Because Paul knew that God had given him this ministry by his grace to the Gentiles, and it was worth suffering for because this ministry was a ministry of revealing, a ministry of revealing the truth. Do you notice that word mystery that comes up? over and over in this text. This word mystery refers to a truth that was hidden, but that could only be made known by God, that we could only know if God reveals it. Paul's ministry that he had been given was a ministry of revealing that which had been previously hidden. Look at verse 5. He refers to this mystery of Christ And he says it was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. And then look again at um, verse 9. His ministry was to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So this mystery of the gospel had been hidden in God for generations, and then God chose to make it known to Paul and to the other apostles. But catch this. Not only did he make it known to Paul, he made it known to Paul so that he would then make it known to others, specifically here to the Gentiles. So God reveals this truth, this powerful mystery to Paul, and we'll talk in a moment about what exactly this mystery is that he has in mind, but He reveals this truth to Paul so that Paul would then make it known. That was the ministry that God had given to Paul, to make known the gospel that had been hidden to the Gentiles. It was a ministry that God gave Paul by his grace, and it was a ministry for which Paul was suffering. 
You know, when, when we're reading a passage like this, I don't know if you're like me, but, but sometimes you might come to a passage like this and say, okay, why are we talking about Paul's ministry here? Why is he all of a sudden getting autobiographical? Like, why is he telling us this stuff? Like, just get, get back to those, you know, truths about, you know, the, the forgiveness and all this grace. And just get back to this. Why are you talking about yourself? But have you ever just stopped to consider what a gift it is that we have received that God would give an apostle to the Gentiles, to us, to those who belong to nations outside of Israel? What if God hadn't made his word known to the Gentiles? What if Paul wasn't the apostle to the Gentiles? There would be no letter to the Ephesians. That's why it, it matters to us why God would make Paul the minister to the Gentiles. This letter, this amazing unfolding of God's grace and the glories of the gospel is coming to us because God chose to reveal his gospel to Paul and he chose Paul to make his word known to Gentiles, to us. Aren't you glad that we have a God who isn't silent? That the God who created the universe, the God who is all-powerful, the God who is all-knowing, the one true God didn't keep quiet. He is not silent. He has made his word known, not only to a select group of people, but just as Jesus told his disciples in Acts 1-8, that this word, this gospel, shouldn't just be contained in Jerusalem. No, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost part of the world. Do you appreciate what a gift it is that God has gotten his word to you, that God has gotten his gospel to you through a messenger like Paul, through witnesses like those in Acts 1-8? Do you appreciate what a gift it is that God is not silent and that we have in this book, in ink on pages, the voice of God that we can hear every time we open up this book? I read this week about a Romanian pastor who was a pastor during the time that Romania was under communist rule when Christianity, when the Bible was illegal. This pastor was imprisoned for being a Christian and a guard took his Bible away from him and used it as toilet paper. Well, this pastor would watch this guard and as the guard left the latrine, pastor went in there and he retrieved the pages and he cleaned them off and he hid them because he knew how precious the word of God was. It was a treasure that was worth sacrificing for. It was a treasure that he couldn't live without. He appreciated how much of a gift he had in the word of God that had made its way all the way to him. Do you, do you treasure the word of God? Do you appreciate what a gift it is that God is not silent, that he has made his truth known to us? And do you not just appreciate it, but do you live like you appreciate it? Do your actions reflect the fact that you value this precious word of God that we have been given? You know, we received the gospel through a messenger, 
Paul was a messenger to the Gentiles, but just like with Paul, the, the message that God revealed to him wasn't supposed to stop at Paul. The message that God revealed to Paul was to continue. Paul was to make known that which God had made known to him. And God has not stopped making his word known. God is still making his word known through messengers. You and I have been given a ministry to be these messengers. Now, we aren't apostles receiving special revelation from God, but we, as the saints, as the people of God, have received in this book the gospel of Jesus Christ. Through people like Paul, through ministers that God has used, we have received this word, and it's not supposed to stop with us. Just like God made his word known to Paul so that Paul would make it known to us, we have been given this word to make it known to others. We have been given a ministry of being word carriers, of taking this word that was made known to us and making it known to us. Just like Paul had been given a ministry to be a messenger, so we have been given a ministry to be messengers, to make the gospel known. We have this responsibility, and we get the opportunity to make God's word known this summer in Uganda to those who are going to take this and make his word known to those who do not have access to it in Sudan. We have the opportunity to make God's word known in Stephenville. We have the opportunity for, uh, for, to make God's word known in the far distant land of Colorado. We have the opportunity to make God's word known. And so may we not lose sight of the big picture. May we not lose sight of who God has called us to be. May we not lose sight of the privilege that we have to not only be recipients of God's word, but carriers of God's word. God revealed through a messenger, and he still reveals his word to people through messengers. So God revealed through a messenger, and he revealed good news. In verse 6, Paul tells us what exactly this mystery is that he is referring to. What is this mystery that was hidden for ages in God, but now God has made known? Look at verse 6 with me. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So what is the mystery? That the gospel is for everyone. The gospel, the good news of what Jesus has done through his death and resurrection is for everyone. It's not for a select group of people. It's not for an elite segment of the population. The gospel is for everyone. And anyone who comes to God through Jesus Christ can have equal access to God. Let's look at the individual pieces of this mystery that Paul tells us about here in verse 6. That the Gentiles are fellow heirs. Fellow heirs. An heir is a person who has been put in a privileged position to receive something that they cannot earn and do not deserve. An heir is a, priv is a person put in a privileged position to receive something they cannot earn and do not deserve. And this privileged position of being an heir to God was something that was formerly only for the Jews. It was a hidden truth that this would ever be made available to people from every 
nation and tribe and tongue. But now God has revealed in his perfect timing, according to a plan that he has had forever, that even us, even we can have the privileged position of receiving God's grace, of being an heir with Christ. Paul has been talking about this since Ephesians chapter 1, whenever he told us that we were adopted into God's family through our faith in Jesus Christ. That when we trust in Christ, we're joined to Christ, who's the firstborn. And as we're joined to Christ, we become heirs with Christ. We become the recipients of an inheritance that is guaranteed by the Holy Spirit. In Christ, we are all fellow heirs. We are also members of the same body, Paul says. Members of the same body. In Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek nor slave nor free nor male nor female. There is one new man in Christ. We're members of the same body. In chapter 2, Paul told us that Jews and Gentiles were reconciled to God in one body. Members of the same body. And as we think about members of the same body, there's a, a sense of equality here. It's not just that, like, the Jews got to be the brain, but, you know, you Gentiles, you get to be, like, the appendix. Like, we're not really sure what you do. We're not really sure why you're there, and you're expendable. No, no, no. We're not members of the body in an e- uh, in equal sense. We're members equally of the same body. We have equal standing in Christ, no matter what our background, no matter what our income, no matter what our culture, no matter what the color of our skin If we come to Jesus through faith, we all have equal standing in him. We are also partakers of the promise. Partakers of the promise. In chapter 2, Paul referred to Gentiles as once strangers to the covenant of promise. That's who the Gentiles were. We don't deserve to be partakers of the promise. We don't deserve equal standing. We don't deserve for God's promises to come to us. But now in Christ, the outsiders have been brought in, and the promise that he made to Abraham has come true, that he would bless him and that through him all the families of the earth would be blessed. God's promise is something that now we, even in our country, even in our heritage, even with who we are, who once were far from God, we can have access to God's promise in Christ. And it is in Christ. He says at the end of this verse that all of these things have come to us in Christ Jesus through the gospel. It's because Jesus was made poor on our behalf that we can be made rich in him. We can be fellow heirs. It's because his body was broken for us that we from every nation and every tribe and tongue through faith in him can be bonded together in one body and become members of the same body. It's because Jesus bore the curse of the wrath of God for sinners that we can receive the blessing that God promised to Abraham that Christ earned and Christ deserved. In Christ Jesus, through The gospel, because the gospel is for everyone. The gospel is for 
everyone. Do you believe that the gospel is for everyone? Do you believe that the gospel is for you? You know, sometimes it's easier to believe that the gospel is for someone else than it is to believe that the gospel is for you. And if you don't believe that the gospel is for you, it it might be because you don't know how much you need it. Maybe you think, you know, I, I could use some good advice. I could use, you know, a little help. But, you know, I don't, I don't need to be rescued or anything. No, you need to be rescued. You are in a desperate condition apart from Jesus. You need the rescue that Jesus provides. Do you know that, that there's a holy God, a holy and perfect God who is without blame, who is without blemish, who is without fault, who cannot tolerate sin, He wants to have a relationship with you, but your sin separates you from God. That because of your sin, you deserve his wrath, his perfect, holy, just punishment, condemnation, because you've sinned against God. You realize there's nothing that you can do on your own to get out of this situation. There's no amount of good works that you can do to earn your way to God. There's no amount of good works that you can do to clean yourself up or counterbalance the scales or anything like that. No, there's nothing you can do on your own to be right with God. You are in a desperate situation. You need rescue. And the good news of the gospel is that God has sent a rescuer for you. God has sent a rescuer for you. He sent his son Jesus to live a perfect life of righteousness so that if you trust in him, you can stop trying to earn your way to God and his perfect record can be applied to you. He sent his son to be a substitute, to die in your place so that if you trust in him, his death, his receiving the wrath of God can become yours so that you don't have to taste a drop of the cup of God's wrath. Jesus came and was separated from the Father so that you can be reconciled to God if you would just trust in him. Jesus came and he he rose from the grave after he died so that you, if you trust in him, can have eternal life in him. Maybe today you need to admit that you need a rescuer. Maybe today you need to admit that you don't have it all together. Maybe you need to admit that you need to stop putting your trust in yourself and your performance. Because you need more than just to get back into church. You need more than to kind of turn over a new leaf. You need a rescuer. And there is one available to you. So if you, if that's you today, I I ask that you would admit to God that you've been trying to trust in yourself for something that only Jesus can do. Would you admit to God that you need a rescue? Would you trust in Jesus? Maybe you don't believe the gospel is for you because you don't think you're good enough to receive the gospel. Maybe you think, hey, listen, on that, all that about needing a rescuer in a desperate condition and all that, listen, I'm with you. I know I have a desperate condition. I know I'm in trouble. 
but, but this, isn't, this isn't for me. I, I, there's no way. I, I've fallen too far. I've gone to, you don't know what I've done. I've gone past the line. I've get, gone past the point of no return. There's no way that this is for me. And what you need to know is that the gospel is even for you. That God has sent a rescuer for you. And it is a free gift. It's a free gift that is yours for the taking. You don't have to do better. You don't have to try harder. You just have to accept God's free gift of grace in Christ. You have your sins forgiven. You can have a relationship with God forever. And it's totally free because in Christ, this good news is for everyone, even you. God revealed through a messenger. He revealed good news for everyone. And he revealed for a purpose. He revealed for a purpose. God gave Paul this ministry to reveal the gospel and to reveal that the gospel is for everyone, that Jews and Gentiles can be reconciled and built together as one people, one holy temple. And he he says this in verses 8 and 9. Look back with me at those. Paul says, To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So Paul has been given this ministry to preach to the Gentiles. And what is the purpose? Why is God revealing this truth, this mystery at this time? He tells us in verse 10, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. The purpose for which God has revealed his gospel, that God has revealed this truth that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and members of the same body and partakers of the promise, the reason he has revealed that the gospel is for everyone is because God is putting his wisdom on display. God is putting his wisdom on display. Notice that word manifold, the manifold wisdom of God. There's a similar word used about the coat that Joseph received from his father Jacob, a multicolored coat. God's multicolored wisdom expressed in his multicolored church. His multifaceted wisdom. We read earlier from Romans eleven thirty three. Oh, the depth of the wisdom of God. Think about the wisdom that God has put on display in the gospel. That God had a plan to reconcile enemies. That God had a plan to make righteous people who were not righteous without compromising his own justice. Only a wise, an all-wise God can do that. He devised a plan to be able to show love to sinners and still remain a perfect, blameless, holy God. He devised a plan to tear down the wall that divided Jews and Gentiles without 
breaking his promise in the Old Covenant. God's wisdom is expressed as his good news changes lives. God's wisdom is expressed as Jews and Gentiles are reconciled together in one body as people from every nation and tribe and tongue can come to God through Jesus Christ. And notice that he's putting his manifold wisdom on display before the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. So we've seen this phrase, the heavenly places, in Ephesians already. At the very beginning of the letter, Paul says that we've been blessed in Christ Jesus with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. In the end of chapter 1, Paul says that Christ was exalted to God's right hand in the heavenly places. In chapter 2, when we see that we were dead in our sins, but that God raised us to new life, he raised us and seated us with Christ in the heavenly places. And then, if you would flip over to Ephesians 6, 12, we're going to see, Paul says, in Ephesians 6, 12, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So this term, the heavenly places, refers to the spiritual dimension, the heavenly dimension. And in this, there are good things that happen, like receiving blessings in Christ, being seated with Jesus. That happens in this spiritual dimension. There are good angels that are ministers of God that exist in this spiritual dimension. But there's also bad, evil, darkness that exists in this spiritual dimension. And no doubt what Paul has in mind here is these evil forces, these evil spiritual beings that wage war against God and his people, these evil spiritual beings that are at work in the world to be opposed to God's purposes and opposed to all that Christ stands for. It is before evil spiritual beings that God is now putting his multicolored wisdom on display. And he's doing that through the church. Through the church, God is putting his wisdom on display before the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Through the church, this ragtag group of dead people that God made alive, people of different backgrounds that God has reconciled together, this multi-ethnic temple that God is building, these fellow heirs of God, this body with multicolored members, this group of promise recipients, through people, you, me, God has chosen to put his wisdom on display before the evil spiritual beings. As they see what God is doing through the church, they see the victory of Jesus. As they see the grace that God is extending through the death and resurrection of Jesus, they start to see that their time is Sure, because the same resurrection that has brought us life 
is the same resurrection through which Jesus triumphed over the rulers and authorities. The same exaltation that brought Jesus to the right hand of the Father, where he intercedes on our behalf day and night, that same exaltation for us is an exaltation over the evil spiritual powers, the rulers and authorities. Every time they see what God is doing in the church, they are reminded that Jesus is greater than they are. Every time they see us, things that can only be explained by the gospel and through Jesus Christ, they see that their time is running out. It's as if the whole universe is an arena and the church is the stage in the middle. And all around are the stands filled with the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. And when, when there is division and segregation and sin in the church, the rulers and authorities cheer. They're excited to see that. But when they see the reconciliation that Jesus can bring through the cross and resurrection, they tremble. When they see the unity that can only be explained by the gospel between even Jews and Gentiles, when they see that grace on display, they understand they have lost. When they see reconciled enemies, they get the message, you lose. When they see the dead raised to life, spiritually dead people who have been given new life in Christ and are bearing the fruit of the Spirit, it is saying to the rulers and authorities, Jesus has won and you have lost. When they see a church on mission getting the gospel to those who do not deserve it, who shouldn't have received it, but who God wants to make a co-heir with Christ, the rulers and authorities see that Jesus reigns over them. May we never lose sight of the big picture of what is really going on here. May we lift our eyes to see, would we break the flow of, of just the, the, the small and the ordinary, and, and would we recognize just what God is doing in the world through us, of all people? Do you realize that our church is an arena for God to put his glory on display? May we never forget that every time we express the life change that the gospel brings, we get a little taste of what we see in Revelation chapter 12. John says, I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they loved not their lives even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath because he knows that his time is short. Don't lose sight of the big 
picture of the victory that Jesus is bringing, of the declaration that God is making through us to the watching rulers and authorities. You, you know, it, I mentioned before, it's easy to, to kind of play church, to come in and, and just go through the motions. You know, public speaking doesn't require the Holy Spirit. Public speaking doesn't require the gospel. Public speaking doesn't make hell tremble. But when this powerful word of God is opened up and the Holy Spirit uses this book to make the adopted sons and daughters of God more like his son Jesus Christ, that makes hell tremble. You know, playing music doesn't scare the demons. But when a group of redeemed people sing the gospel from their hearts, the life change that Jesus has brought and the love that he has put in them for the Father, that says to the rulers and authorities, you lose. You know, serving in our church can sometimes we can be doing stuff that it doesn't even require a, a christian to do you know taking care of a, a kid doesn't require a, a christian to, you know being on a security team you don't have to you, a, an unbeliever can keep someone safe an unbeliever can run a soundboard and and know how all that works but but you know what takes the holy spirit is serving people with a heart of self-sacrificial love out of a heart that has been loved by christ what requires the Holy Spirit is when we interact with one another and, and our interaction is going beyond just small talk, but it's speaking the truth and love to one another and helping one another experience the grace of God and become more like Jesus. When our service in this church becomes more than just about the exterior and going through the motions and doing the things, and we realize that what we're doing is actually expressing a changed life that has been changed by the gospel, that's been changed by Jesus, and that we are helping one another become more like Christ, that we're helping one another, we're pointing one another to Jesus, that is when hell hears the message, Jesus reigns here. Jesus is the head of this church, and you lose. May we never lose sight of the big picture. May we never just play church and go through the motions, but may we do things in, in small settings, in big settings, as we live out the life of this church, would we do things that make hell tremble? Would we do things that make the rulers and authorities know that Jesus reigns? Our church is an arena for God to put his glory on display. But not only that, our, our individual lives are arenas for God to put his glory on display. Paul will talk in the second half of Ephesians about how we as a church can live out the glories of the gospel that we see in Ephesians 1 to 3. But he'll also talk about how we as individual Christians in our homes, in our workplace, how we can live out the gospel and proclaim to the rulers and authorities that Jesus reigns in our lives. Every time the fruit of the Spirit is lived out in your life, 
hell trembles. Every time you forgive someone that doesn't deserve your forgiveness, but you're forgiving them like God in Christ forgave you, you are declaring to the rulers and authorities you lose. Every time, husbands, we love our wives like Christ loved the church, we are declaring Jesus reigns in this home. Wives, every time you love your husband like the church is supposed to love Jesus, you declare Jesus is Lord. Parents, every time you raise your children in the discipline and admonition of the Lord, you say to the heavenly beings, you've lost here. And children, every time you obey your parent, even when you don't feel like it, but just because you want to honor God, just because you love Jesus, when you obey your parents, you're saying to demons and spiritual forces, Jesus has won the victory over you. Our lives are arenas for God to put his glory on display. So may we never lose sight of the big picture. Would we, would we break the flow and recognize just how amazing it is that God has revealed the gospel. The gospel in which God is breaking in, breaking into this cursed world and beginning a new creation. A gospel that he is revealing through messengers like Paul, like even you and me. A message that is for everybody, that anybody can accept as a free gift and can have access to a message that he has revealed for his glory. He has invited us into the victory of the cross and the resurrection. He has invited us to be co-heirs, to be members of his body, to be the place, the arena, where he puts his glory on display. And we never lose sight of the big picture. Let's pray together. Father, I ask that these things we have seen in your word, the ministry that you give of revelation, the gospel that you have revealed, the purpose for which you have revealed it, Lord, I pray that these things, Lord, would not just go in one ear and out the other, but Lord, I pray that you, by your spirit, in your people, through the power of your word, would change us just a little bit more into the image of Christ as a result of this word. Lord, would you, would you make this church, Lord, a place that makes the demons tremble? Would you make this church a place that declares to heaven that Jesus reigns? Lord, in, in small ways, in big ways, in everything we do, Lord, would we not lose sight of the big picture that you are putting your glory on display through the church. Lord, would we be your hands and feet in this world? Would we be the arena, Lord, that the rulers look on and, Lord, they see that their time is short? Lord, would in our hearts be the song of your praise. We love you and praise you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's all stand.